0: Hello to you, hello to you, hello to you, you and you. Welcome in, here we go. Josh Rosenberg for episode 18. Was it not the great John Lennon that said, life is what happens while you're busy making other plans? I tend to think a podcast is what happens when you're busy planning to talk about other things. I wrote down some bullet points, but fuck them. Throughout the week, I just write down a bunch of shit that I think I want to talk about. And then when I start recording, my mind just goes into a different sphere. So here's how we're going to begin, and I don't want this to just become the I'm exhausted, I'm so drained podcast, listen to me complain, and I hope it's not becoming that, but right now I'm exhausted and I'm so drained, and I realized becoming an adult and aging means you got to pick and choose when you want to go big, and those times in life are going to decrease and decrease and decrease until you just say, you know what, let's just stay in, let's just stay in. Both my wife and I, we like to go big for one another's birthdays. Not sure why. It's a good idea. It always sounds good on paper. You plan a big event, maybe a big reservation at a nice new restaurant. Maybe stay up past your bedtime. Bedtime right now is 9 p.m., so that's not saying much. But this past weekend, it was my wife's birthday, and I thought, I'm going big. So I got concert tickets, got tickets to see Ray Lamontane at the Greek Theater in Berkeley. That sounds good, right? So far, so good. Thought I would order in some Mexican from Caviar, the food delivery service. That sounds good, right? So far, so good. Stock the fridge with a tasty beer. Maybe shake up a few martinis. Got a babysitter. Got an Uber. I had it all planned out. And then as the night started to unfold, I realized this just ain't my night. This just ain't my night. Night. And it all started the night before. If you don't get a proper night's sleep, then you just bring sleep deprivation into the next day. And you get those tired eyes, and you get that irritability, and you get that feeling of, should we just say screw it and stay in? But no, you persevere. You keep going. You keep moving forward because we got a birthday to celebrate. And of course, because we knew we were going to be out of the house for about five hours, got to take the dog on a big old walk. And if I don't mention a dog walk on this podcast, then it is not here we go with Josh Rosenberg. So went on the world's worst dog walk from dumpster to dumpster. I know that's not how dog walks are supposed to work, but I've lived in apartment complexes pretty much my whole adult life. So that's how we live. We go dumpster to dumpster. I don't even fight it anymore. I don't even call him a bad dog. He's just a reflection of a pretty bad owner. Okay, so the dog walk was awful. I ordered the food. There was only a couple of Mexican restaurants on caviar, so I picked one. We got enchiladas and nachos. It looked like an eight-year-old chef put it together, just threw every ingredient together. Those were not nachos. It was a few tortilla chips under a mound of hard refried beans topped with sloppy queso. And then the enchiladas. It wasn't even rojo sauce. It wasn't even the good red sauce. It was just like ketchup. And the onions, not even sauteed, just raw onions on top of ketchup, uh, on top of a cold corn tortilla wrapped around uh, string cheese. Not even going to give a credit and call it mozzarella or jack. It was just string cheese. Disgusting. And my wife, so sweet, she said, this is good. This is good. You know, when your voice gets high. Yeah, this is good. I'm enjoying it. No, we're not. And then the beer I got, too hoppy. And she said, this is good. I know she doesn't like hoppy beers. But she says, it's good. No, 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 I like it. I like it. I finally hit the jackpot. I got a lava cake at Safeway. It says, warm up for 30 seconds. I kind of warmed it up. So it was just chocolate cake. I guess I didn't get the lava effect because I didn't warm it up properly. But maybe I was a little uh, overly eager calling that the jackpot. But it tasted good. Okay, finally something tasted good. Put a candle in it. Make a wish. Here comes the babysitter. Got the Uber on our way to Berkeley. Look at us living it up. 7.30 p.m. arrival, right? Because that's what the ticket says. Ray Lamontane at the Greek Theater, 7 p.m. Well, we get there. The place is half empty because the opening act was awful. Maybe the worst band I've ever seen. Just a lady screaming into the microphone as the washed out hippies behind her on these instruments are going jam band style. But not good jam band. More like a cartoon horse. The type of drums that give you a headache. And she was screaming. She wasn't singing. And it was terrible. But we said we're going to make the most out of it. Maybe Ray likes to pick a bad opening act because in contrast, it'll make him look so much better. Fast forward to 9.15. He finally comes on stage. Okay, so now it's dark. He comes on stage and I have the realization, I guess I'm a Ray Lamontagne fan from like 2010, 2011 because the first 10 songs he plays, I don't know. They weren't bad. They certainly weren't good. It was just, you know, he has a great voice. If you don't know who the guy is, he has a really good voice, kind of folksy kind of bluegrassy, but he attempted some rock. Didn't work, Ray. Look at me, the music critic, telling Ray Lamonte and it didn't work. Then 11 songs in, I realized he hasn't played one fucking song we know, and now we're getting a little annoyed. You know, you pay good money, you get one outing in a while as new parents, you dress up, you put on deodorant and cologne, a lot of cologne. Gelled my hair, just kidding, I don't own gel, but I would've. It was one of those nights where I would've gelled it, Or maybe Aquanet, hairsprayed it, maybe some mousse, but turns out none of it, because my hair is like sheep wool, doesn't matter what you do. But still, we got all done up, dressed to the nines, whatever that means, and head out to a concert, and this guy doesn't play one damn song we know. And then we look at the clock. It's time to go home. Time to take the Uber home, because the babysitter shift is about to end, and it's not even worth texting the babysitter, hey, can we have an extra half hour, because Ray ain't doing shit. And then he plays song number 13, 14, 15, 16. And we still don't know any of them. Please just play Jolene. So my wife, who I've never known to yell at all, screams, play Jolene. And that is the first time at this concert that Ray said anything outside of the lyrics of his own songs. Ray Lamontagne responded. And we're not sitting that close. Ray responds, haven't you heard that song enough? and then gets into another shitty song. As you can tell, I'm a little upset, and I shouldn't call his music shitty, because it's obviously good. That's why we were there in the first place, because everything he does is pretty good. But you want to hear the hits. You want to hear at least one song that you recognize. And here's why I don't feel like I'm alone. I've been googling reviews to see if anybody agrees with me. I have not been able to find one review, but here's why I don't think I'm alone. I looked at the entire amphitheater, and nobody was dancing. This is the Greek theater in Berkeley. This is the mecca for hippies to just dance with the arms like airplane wings. You know that dance? Go in circles like your arms are airplane wings? You'll usually find a few hippies at the Greek theater giving you a little dance to the gods because the psychedelics just kicked in. But no, nobody. People weren't even tapping their feet or nodding their heads. This was a dead crowd. Not dead heads, but this crowd was dead. Fact. I would have felt bad if it was just me and my wife not feeling it. But the whole place was waiting and waiting and waiting. So I assume if you're a big Ray fan, like you know every song off every album, and you still like his new music, then you had a good time. But this just goes back to my point. If it's stand-up comedy, you don't want to hear any of the old bits. Give me the new jokes. But if it's live music, please play some songs that we've heard. That's why we're there. We've never heard you play it live, so we want to see it. That's where Ray messed up. You think Paul McCartney is telling anybody, "Haven't you heard Hey Jude enough? Haven't you heard enough of Hey Jude?" You know what, Paul? We probably have, but we paid 100 bucks, so why don't you get behind that piano and go for it? Na 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 Hey, play it. So I don't know, we left early. Maybe Ray did about an hour after we left of all the songs we wanted to hear. This all goes back to the fact that when you age, which is what I'm doing, I guess that's what we are all doing, you don't always have to go big. For my birthday, Chenille, you know, picked these great restaurants in San Francisco. We're going to start here, then we're going to go there, then we're going to go there for an aperitif and get dessert here. We'll get an appetizer there. We'll go get fresh seafood there. None of it worked. It's because I'm an impatient old bastard, and I just desire the couch. So I think we've learned a lesson. You don't have to go big anymore. And this goes for a lot of things. You got to pick and choose. New Year's Eve, I used to go big. I think I went to Tahoe eight straight years just to be outside on the rowdy streets of Southlake. Not anymore. Super Bowls? I think there were 10 straight years where I wanted to go to the biggest, craziest Super Bowl party. Now, just my wife and I on the couch. I should add the baby to all of these scenarios because there's a baby now. Just making some unhealthy food, a big old platter of nachos. That's all we want to do for the Super Bowl. And some of you listen to this and say you sound like a hermit. You sound like an introvert that can't get out of your home. Not true. I can still do crowds. I can still do a few, but not as many. I'm just past my prime. I'm not fully retired, just a little past my prime. So my next birthday, probably just rent La Bamba again and find a Red Lobster. Never actually been to a Red Lobster, but those commercials look good. I don't even know where there is a Red Lobster. Red Lobster, it's like Sonic. So many commercials, but you never actually see one. Does anybody ever see a red lobster? No. But tons of commercials where shrimp is bouncing. That's how they advertise fresh seafood. They just pour it onto a table, and it's icy, and it's bouncy. And everybody in the restaurant is smiling and laughing. And uh, it's a diverse crowd in every restaurant ad now. They never just have a table of white people or a table of black people or a table of Asian people. Everybody from every race is represented at every table. That's a good restaurant ad nowadays. It's a good thing, you know, embrace diversity. But the Red Lobster ads, they look good. So that's my next birthday. No need to go big anymore. Okay, apparently that's the theme of this podcast. How do we spend our time? How do we spend our recreational leisure time? So outside of our professional commitments in life or our family commitments. And I think one of the big questions that everybody asks themselves is, With smartphones taking over our lives, we are inundated with the apps and social media platforms, so we ask the question, what the hell were we doing before? All of those minutes that we are now on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram, all of those minutes were spent doing something else in the very recent past. What were we doing? So I actually thought about this. What was I doing? Now I'm losing so much of my life going to these stupid apps that I know I need to take off my phone. I know for a fact I will quit cold turkey because I don't want to live a life where I am addicted to this damn thing in my pocket that vibrates and has photos of people doing things that don't matter. All right, so here's my upbringing. I watched a lot of baseball. Nowadays, I don't watch any baseball. And I think I know why I watched a lot of baseball. I loved playing, but the teams... Obviously, locally, the Giants and A's, when I was really developing my love for the game, we're talking about the late 80s, early 90s, there were some incredibly fun players to watch. So if my dad took me to a game in Oakland, I get to see McGuire, Conseco, Ricky Henderson, Dave Stewart, the Eck. These are true personalities. These are true characters. And I was hooked, immediately hooked. And there was local TV coverage, local radio coverage, so I was dialed in. Think about a nine-inning baseball game. That's about three hours. But I'm from a region of the U.S. with two baseball teams. And then you had the Giants back then, the Will Clark Giants, the Kevin Mitchell, Matt Williams Giants. And then in 89, of course, people talk about the earthquake. But let's not lose focus of how many legendary characters were on these teams. And to, uh, what was I, eight, nine, ten-year-old back then? That'll hook you. So I was hooked. For many years, I would watch hours hours and hours and hours and hours and hours and hours of baseball. Now I watch zero hours of baseball, actually zero pitches. How sad is that? I don't think I've seen a pitch this year. God, how times have changed. And I don't feel like I'm missing out on anything. And I'm worried where those minutes are going. Maybe my phone. Also, magazines. I used to read magazines. I used to have subscriptions. I used to go to the mailbox. There was ESPN, the magazine, Sports Illustrated, uh, Golf Digest. And even before that, in the dorms, Maxim. This is the late 90s, early 2000s. All dorm rooms had a Maxim, giving tips to the fellas. Hey guys, three ways to make her scream, page 17. Hey guys, get those abs for the beach, page 30. Hey guys, how to order the perfect drink and impress your friends, page 60. And this shit mattered. Maxim Magazine was a big deal. Nobody's reading magazines anymore. Or nobody in my age range. Certainly nobody in college is subscribing to Maxim or FHM. Hey guys, turn those triceps into rock hard, sculpted, Greek god triceps. Page 70. And I would read it all and believe it all. Sheep. And finally, the other thing I did before smartphones took over my life. You know, how are we spending these minutes? That is when I wrote a book. I'd never be able to write a book right now with my current mindset, not just having a six-month-old daughter, but the fact that I do have this phone in my hand too often. I'm not that bad. I know I'm painting a picture like I'm that bad. I'm not that bad. I'm pretty bad. I'm just not that bad because I'm aware. I have a high level of awareness when it comes to these phones. But when I wrote a book, there was no temptation to go to my phone. Now, I would probably write a sentence and then go to my phone. Would not be productive at all. I heard Moshe Kasher say, he's a comedian that's not funny, but he wrote a book, Casher in the Rye, about growing up uh, with deaf parents, and he was a true rebel in Oakland. And it was a decent book. It's not funny at all, but it was actually really well written. And he said to write a book, you have to commit about one hour a day to just sitting in front of your keyboard every day for six months. That's not a long time, but I think that's what I did. I went through spurts where I was just committed to focusing on typing and writing and typing and writing. And I was determined and I was feeling motivated and inspired. I don't have that part of me anymore that would just sit down and write and write and write a book. It's amazing to think about real authors. Have you ever thought about the real authors, the Dean Koontz's, the John Grishams, the Jody Piccolts, the Mitch Albums, the prolific authors? How do they do it? Are these people human? Are they robots? How do they have so many creative ideas and they know how to paint a picture so perfectly? Like the real professional authors are amazing minds. I know I always use superlatives. You think I'm going to say the most amazing minds, but they're up there. I mean, that is one of the most impressive professions ever. My goal was just to write a book. See if I could do it. I did it. If you read it, you liked it. Great. If you read it, you didn't like it. Don't you dare tell me. I'm too sensitive for that. But if you haven't read it, hey, pick it up and then lie to me. Say you liked it. Whatever. But... The real authors, when you read someone's writing and you're just like, this is amazing, theater of the mind, I'm able to picture it, it's a beautiful thing. I wonder, what's their process? Probably put the phone down. Probably avoid going to Ray LaMontagne concerts. Waste of time. Probably don't own a beagle, the worst breed. That'll take hours out of your life. Clearly, I love this beagle, but come on, come on. My nerves are frayed. I can't do this much longer. And plus, here's the actual point. I know I just spent a long time not getting to any point, but I think there's a point buried here. Uh, What I'm actually doing on my phone is the most meaningless, brainless, mind-numbing shit. What are we doing? We're looking at photos of one another doing things that don't really matter. I mean, back in the day, you did take photos on your camera when you're on vacation. And of course, there were school photos, wedding photos, and maybe out-of-town guest photos, and you put them in an album, and only the people that come into your home would see these photos. And they were significant photos, at least it seemed that way. Now, there are some people that put up about 10 to 20 photos a week of things like eating lunch, or on a walk, or heading out to work, catching a movie tonight, and they put up a photo, or of their kids eating a meal. Here's my baby eating a meal. Here's my baby eating another meal. Here's my baby eating another meal. And I don't think these people are truly convinced that anybody cares, but it's just like you go with what society is giving you. Like, for example, if I had a horchata machine in my kitchen, every day I would drink horchata just because it's there. And then if somebody ripped away the horchata machine one day, I'd probably miss it for a little while and then realize I don't need that much horchata. That's why if all of these apps just went away, if all of these social media platforms just went away, I don't think our lives would be worse. I don't think I would miss it once I would rewire my brain chemistry to just get back to how it used to be, how I yearn for that. I think we'd all be okay. If it all just went away, we'd all be okay. Because taking this many photos and looking at other people's photos, it's not really what we're intended to do. There are studies on the negative impacts of what it does. It makes people feel isolated. It's unnecessary envy because people are putting up idealized versions of themselves It's not my opinions. This is actual scientific proof that there are negative impacts on your brain by going to your phone so often to look at photos of other people's lives. Judd Apatow had the best line in his most recent special. If you haven't seen Judd Apatow, The Return, it's pretty good. But he talks about having teenage daughters every single day. There's pressure to look good enough for a photo. How often do we feel like we look good enough for a photo? Most people my age, when you break out the photo, they're like, why? 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 What are we doing? Who cares about this? Like I, I have no reason to want my picture taken right now. But teenagers, you know, they got to be ready to be evaluated. That's what likes are. That's what comments are. And Judd Apatow, he says, I see my teenage daughters. That's a lot of pressure every day to see if people like those photos. He said, when I was growing up in the 70s, if I was to just take a photo of myself on a random Tuesday, just a photo of my teenage self and send it to somebody, in an envelope with a stamp in the mail, snail mail, because back then you didn't just post. But he said, if I just took a photo of myself, sent it to my friend, Gary, and said, do you like this? He'd be like, no. No, I don't like that that much. And it's true. That's like the fundamental response is, no, I don't need to see that. I love my friends. I truly do. But I don't really just need to see them sitting on their couches on a Wednesday night. But that's what we post. And it's not like people just post it and put it away. People post and then they sit around and wait for the likes to come in. I know it's a tired topic, but really, it's time to detach because something will be gone soon. And that is the sacred photo. You know, the sacred photo, the one you saw of your mom or your dad back in the day on a college campus looking like the summer of love in the 60s or the 70s, those sacred photos and sports and music, they don't exist anymore. Because there's just too many photos now. I don't even think high school kids will care about yearbooks in the future. Why would they? You go through yearbooks, you know, like you would go through somebody's Instagram feed. Okay, okay, okay. Seen it, seen it, seen it. So we don't have that appreciation for the sacred photos anymore because there's too many. They have zero meaning on us. If there's ever too much of something, then it loses its appeal, loses its allure. But Judd Apatow's point is just so good. It was so funny. So true. True. If I just sent my group of friends, like if there was no social media, but the idea of sharing photos that frequently, if every day of my life I sent my group of friends pictures of my daughter or pictures of me and my wife eating dinner at the table, they would not enjoy receiving those photos in the mail. They would probably have an intervention and say, you have to stop sending us photos of you doing mundane, forgettable, meaningless things. But that's what we're doing with a great deal of normalcy now. We've just accepted that, well, of course- Of course, this is how I check in with humans. All right, all right. Now I'm trying to navigate out of this idea that I'm complaining. However, complaints are a part of life. This is Maslow's hierarchy of needs. And I know I say complaints. Maybe I should just say needs. But what we focus on, it's only based on previous needs that have been taken care of. So let me give you this scenario for a moment. All right, if I was totally homeless, nobody in my life just me in the streets, then I would need the bare minimum. I would need food. I would need water. I would need shelter. It's all the physiological things of life I would truly need. And then if I ever took care of those, you know, let's say I found myself a job, an apartment, maybe a friend or two, then I can move on to safety. Safety is the next step. So if I take care of breathing, food, water, sleep, Shelter, then I move on to safety, security of body, some employment, health, property. Then I take care of that. Then I get to move on to caring about friendship. This is called love-belonging phase of the triangle. Family, sexual intimacy, it says, on Maslow's hierarchy of needs. And then if I take care of that, then I get to go up to esteem, self-esteem. Then I start caring about that. Confidence, achievements, accomplishments, respect from others respecting others and then at the top if i could take care of all of that esteem love safety physiological needs then at the top it's self-actualization so this is morality creativity spontaneity problem solving if you get to this part of the triangle you're privileged in a weird way you don't even realize it because you've taken care of all of the other needs or whoever took care of you when you were young took care of these needs for you or however those needs got taken care of they're taken care of so you move up to the self-actualization part of the triangle And then you read this part of the triangle. And it's about acceptance of life and facts, having a creative outlet and all of these things, understanding morality. I love it. I love how insignificant some of my complaints are. And that brings me great joy. When I have that level of awareness to go, oh God, what am I stressed about? A bad night's sleep? I had a bed to have a bad night's sleep in. You know, losing perspective is a dangerous thing. Think about that for a moment. The littlest things we complain about. I mean, if you have a big issue in your life, then I get it. I get it. But most of the shit we complain about on a daily basis, it's a privilege to have those complaints. Like if my daughter barfs on my shirt and I go, ah, damn, that's a great complaint. I was able to have a healthy daughter whose system works well enough to barf and I had a shirt. Hey, that's great. Even having clothes, that's great. Think about your littlest complaint and then just reverse how you look at it for a moment. Just for a moment. Think about the last four things that you got really pissed off about. Whether you was even in a relationship. Be happy you were in a relationship. You get in a fight with a friend. Hey, maybe you should just be happy that that person's your friend. You get in a fight with your wife or your husband. Hey, be happy you have a wife or a husband. You start getting pissed off at your dog. Hey, you know deep down you love your dog. What about job stress? You know, the unemployed people would envy job stress. And then you get to the top of that triangle, and what do you start complaining about? Your team lost the game. So perspective is so beautiful, it's actually hurt me as a sports fan, because who really cares? I hate saying that. But who cares if the Warriors win the championship? In the grand scheme of things, sports become insignificant. You know, Ray Lamontane at the Greek Theater, it actually bugged me for a full night that he didn't play one of his hits. How spoiled am I? What a jerk. I'm able to go to a concert, have a nice night, take an Uber out, for my wife's birthday and I'm complaining that a guy with a great voice didn't sing songs that I recognize, I am beyond the triangle. I just need to tattoo that triangle on my neck so I see it every day. I bet I'd be a happier person. Now, I'd probably be unemployed because not a lot of places are going to hire a guy with a neck tat. Actually, that's a good question. Would I still be able to be a high school teacher if I had a big neck tat or a teardrop tattoo? I don't know. I would hope so. But who knows? You never know how the hiring process goes. I'll I'll avoid that, though. Is anybody still subscribing to magazines? Is Maxim still a magazine? Could I just go back to that for a moment? Is there anything more chauvinistic than those great male magazines of the late 90s? Get her between the sheets, fellas. A three-page guideline. And us dorky college kids would actually read that and go, all right, now we know. Now we know what to do with the females on this campus. Thank you, Maxim Magazine. Some scary shit, huh? The guidelines in these male magazines. Maybe that's good. People aren't really reading magazines as much. Not good for literacy, but maybe that's one of the positives of having your phone. At least you're not subscribing to bad magazines. You realize who the coolest person is of all time? I'll I'll end with this. The coolest person is Bill Withers. Bill Withers, you know, great songs like Lean On Me, Just The Two Of Us, Lovely Day. That was our exit song at the wedding after we said, I do, I do, had the first kiss at Deer Park Villa, then hit it, Bobby Woo, DJ, buddy of mine from the radio days, he hit it, lovely day, and that bass line, ooh, boy, get the crowd going. But Bill Withers, you know, a lot of his songs have been taken into the hip-hop world, just like any rap song. All of those beats are stolen from something in the soul, R&B, funk world of the 70s. But Bill Withers is the coolest human on earth. About 10 years ago, There was a documentary about him called Still Bill, and that is still my favorite music doc. Still Bill. So down to earth. He was born cool. Ain't no sunshine when she's gone. You know that song. Bill needed a lyric. He found I know. And I know, 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 I know. He says it 26 times, and it's not annoying. Who's that cool where they could just drop a lyric 26 times in a row? It's karaoke gold. If you ever pick Ain't No Sunshine When She's Gone by Bill Withers and you get into the I Know's and you do it properly, you get the crowd going. Plus, it's easy. You don't want to challenge yourself too much at karaoke night. I act like I know what I'm doing. I've probably been to karaoke night at a bar twice, maybe thrice in my life. It's like trivia night at a bar. You go and you go, why don't I do this more often? And then you realize, oh, yeah, I'm aging. I can't go big. I can't, I can't do anything without feeling remorse and true exhaustion. But back to Bill Withers. Watch this documentary, Still Bill, and just listen to him tell his life story. He says, I was never a great musician, never a great singer. Maybe true. Maybe true technically, but he's cool. And it comes through in his songs. Use Me. You know, they have that on the Anchorman soundtrack. Go listen to Bill Withers' song, Use Me, right now. And I guarantee you'll smile. That's my guarantee. You will smile. And I know, I know, I know, I know you will smile. All right, if you know a good tattoo artist, I'm ready to get the Maslow neck tat. And I had some other notes written. I had this bullet point written. Is Louis C.K. going to have a comeback? But I'll get to that in episode 19. This is episode 18, wrapping it up. If you like any of this, leave a review on iTunes. If you want to check out that book I was describing, Suddenly Facing Reality, that's on Amazon at Amazon.com, a true monopoly. You can also follow me on Twitter if you want. That's how I promote this. Now I'm just going to tell you to go to your phone or Instagram or Facebook or Friendster or MySpace or anything to bring you to your phone to promote this podcast. There it is. That's kind of why I'm still on it, by the way. Like Instagram, I should not be on Instagram. I don't like it at all. But I thought maybe this will be a chance to promote Here We Go. And it's basically just my group of friends, so it's fine. But I also thought, you know something? I need a new creative outlet. I'll be a dog photographer. So it's tongue-in-cheek, but I really do enjoy taking photos of dogs. So there it is on Instagram. Some of my awful dog photographs are up there. All right, I appreciate you tuning in. Episode 18 is now in the books. I'll talk to you soon.